Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Jamie, thanks for joining me on the Friday Focus. Uh, what are you up to these days, mate? You're, what, you're five years into international retirement. What's keeping you busiest? Uh, family, yeah. <laughs> Three kids running around playing every sport under the sun. So they love their sport, uh, don't they? Love their sport, yeah, which is great. And Perth's a perfect place to play sport, I think. And yeah. So they keep me busy, but I, I do a few other things as well. My full time job is my hockey brand. I own a mm-hmm. hockey business which sells sticks and um, you know uh, apparel and shin guards, bags, etc. Yeah. JDH. So that's my full time job. Um, Where, where's all that produced? Most of it is in Pakistan. Right. So Elcott, which is a, a city north of Lahore, yep. a hours drive north of Lahore. I've been there a few times. Very interesting uh, city. <laughs> it's like I've been to India a lot, like yourself. Yep. You've seen a few of those countries, sort of Indian towns. It's similar to that. Um, but there's lots of factories, you know, lots of cricket bats made there. Yeah. The factory where I make my sticks is one of the biggest ones. They make Adidas and Greys and yep. they sell over 5 million Adidas balls a year and 5 million shin guards a year, so it's quite a big operation. Um, I've, yeah, like I said, I've been there once a year before COVID came and it was a good experience. I actually enjoyed going over there, seeing, yeah. it, seeing it made. So your hands-on in the design and the, you know, technology improvements in the gear because it would have changed a huge amount since you first started playing hockey. Yeah, yeah, it changed from wood to carbon yep. uh, sticks and now there's bigger bows, lighter lighter sticks as well. Yep. So there are rules and regulations around that from the Federation of International Hockey. But, yeah, my strengths in the brand is the technology side and trying to make the perfect hockey stick and the yep. relationships with the distributors around the world. And I've got a small team around me who do the logistics and graphic designs and uh, and other things. So it's going, it started off as a bit of a hobby, to be honest, and now it's grown into a pretty big business, so it's keeping me full-time. Uh, apart from that, I yeah, I've invested in a few restaurants here a yeah. while ago with uh, Eamon Sullivan, Steve Hooker, and and um, Scott Bridger, the chef, and they're going great. Um, but I'm just a silent investor, really, just right. So trial the food, and <laughs> not on the tools behind the not on the hot plates. I gave myself the title of um, expert taste tester of food yeah. and beverage, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 going well. It's good, and I'll just like. Just see it from afar, and Eamon's on top of it, and Scott Bridger, the chef's on top of it, so it's uh, it's going well. Yeah, Eamon loves his cooking, doesn't he? So yeah. he'd be uh, leading for the forefront there. Just going back to the the Pakistan and, and the India scenario, hockey has always been a, a number two sport in in India. I know cricket obviously is the one that dominates, but hockey's right up there as well recognition can you rock into the you know the place where you're making these sticks and go and see that and and be recognized everywhere or is it pretty lower profile what's it what's it like there in the subcontinent 
Yeah, they recognised me um, yeah. in in the factory, obviously, because my six are made there. And the first time I went over there, I took a few balls with me, and um, I got the the sticks made, some sample sticks, and I I said to the big owner of the uh, of the factory, I said, "Where can I go and test these sticks?" And he said, "What do you mean, like test the sticks?" And I said, "Where can I go and play some hockey and hit the hit some balls and yeah. practice?" And he's like, oh, we don't have anywhere like that. And I said, oh, do you have some grass somewhere? So out the front of the factory, there's a little bit of grass, you know, dirt slash grass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a bit barren. Behind it was 2000 or something, these motorbikes with like a little barbed wire fence. And I went out there and I started testing these sample sticks that I was, you know, different makeups of the sticks, different bows, et cetera, that I was trying out. And then one guy started coming from the factory of videoing me. Then by the end of it, there was about 200, 200 <laughs> people there with their phones out watching me just smash balls. And I, I said, can I hit it up against the fence to the, to the big boss? He goes, yeah, yeah, hit it, hit it, it's okay. I hit a couple, went through the fence, hit a couple of bikes. I was like, oh, sorry, sorry. He goes, no, it's okay, keep going, keep going. And yeah, it was a pretty interesting first trip over to Pakistan. But, um, yeah, I, I get recognised there. Not as much as, like, what you would get over in, in Pakistan and India, but in India. I went over there my first time in 2007 and I had this guy just kept coming to my room and kept knocking on my door and kept and sending me text messages like oh, this is really weird and it, <laughs> it was um yeah it's a bit mind-blowing a bit different yeah. to life here in Australia and, and Holland and other places I've been but it was a good experience yeah I guess in Australia does the profile of the game fluctuate depending on Olympic year and 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 the build-up to the Olympics and then does it quieten off a little bit here it does yeah in in australia everyone builds up towards the olympics and yeah. expects australian men to get or women to go over there and win and if we don't it's a pro- big problem but for a hockey point of view like every second year so the world cup for us and commonwealth games the world cup especially is is very important it's nearly as, as important as the olympics it's the top 12 or 16 teams depending on the world cup and that's every four years. Um, so, and it's in between the Olympic cycle. So, that for us is really important. Um, so, every second year is is big. Couple of World Cup wins, a few uh, Commonwealth Games gold medals, but of course there was one iconic moment in Australian sports history, not just hockey. And see how this uh, jogs your memory, mate. All the Australian players except Stephen Molan up around the attacking circle. Livermore, Dwyer, it's in! It's in, it's fantastic, Australia have won, they've got the gold medal, they've got the monkey off the back, and they ripped! Well, one of the most famous and long-lasting sporting hoodoos in Australian history has finally been laid to rest. This team of hockey heroes has done what so many Australian teams have come so close to since 1964 when they first won bronze in Tokyo and you can't believe it, the joy, the relief that is felt by people in hockey across Australia. Mate, can you now fathom fully, did you realise at the time the enormity of what you achieved off your stick, you were the one that broke the hoodoo? Not at the time, no. I was, uh, I was just pretty excited that it went in and that we got the win because we deserve, deserved to win that game. But I guess now, once I've retired and, you know, my journey has sort of stopped in that sort of um, hockey on the field sort of um, player, 
Yeah, you look back and you sort of, I was very proud of what we achieved at that Olympics um, and what happened, you know. When I was a little kid, I always was mucking around in the backyard or at the hockey ground and just pretending that I was in the Olympic final and, uh, you know, I was going to hit the winning goal. And for it to actually happen and um, be real, uh, yeah, it's still, I still pinch myself thinking, did it actually happen? Because it was in extra time yep. in the final against the defending champs, yep. the Dutch. And right at the end of the first period of extra time, wasn't it? Yep. So as Christo said there, if uh, if the ball goes out of the D or it, 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 you go to half time and continue on. But uh, but the celebrations, they would have been oh. long. It was your first Olympics, wasn't it? Yeah. Having narrowly missed the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I narrowly missed right. uh, the team. I was probably, yeah, I wish I was narrowly missed, but I, I didn't really get too many opportunities before Sydney oh. 2000. Uh, and I started. I made my doing, uh, debut in 2001, and I was just up and coming. And yeah, it was my first Olympics. I went there, and I had nothing, nothing to lose really. I had a serious injury. I did my ACL a year before, 11 months actually. I had the operation before the Olympics, before the first game, and I was out for eight or nine months. And I was just happy to make the team. And then I thought, well, let's just go for it. You know, I've, I was really confident in the team. We had a really good balance of. Um, age group personalities and we had a really good culture at that time and we, re- we really believed in ourselves so I just thought hey, let's just go and I, I started off that tournament with a hat trick and then I scored a couple of goals in the second game and my confidence was running high I was young I you know I just thought let's just go yeah. let's just go for it and um yeah, we, we played so well that game. We should have won that game, seriously, 4 or 5-1, to be honest with you. But we just missed some chances. I missed a few. A few of the other guys missed a couple of opportunities. And then it went to extra time. And I found out just before the game, because if it finishes extra time, still a draw, it goes to penalty strokes. And I was going to be the number f- uh, five penalty stroke taker. And I... I didn't want to be in that situation. <laughs> yeah. like, let's just let's just score. So um, yeah, it, it come out, and normally I would flick that, and if you flick it, you can put it anywhere in the goal. But the guy was out on me a little bit quicker, so I was in that split second, I was decided to hit it. It missed his foot by about a centimetre in between the keeper's pads and up into the goal, and yeah, the rest is history. And a nice moment from that game as well. The captain of the Dutch team went and grabbed the hockey ball that I scored. And after the game, gave me the ball and said, this Brilliant. is the ball. And uh, respect him a lot for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very nice moment. I would imagine you'd have a fair few uh, pieces of memorabilia stashed away somewhere in the in the pool room or wherever they lie. But um, you mentioned about having that sort of almost carefree attitude going into your first games. Um, you know, there's no sort of history for you personally in that extended run of um, unsuccessful campaigns for the Aussies. But it strikes me as your attitude was something that you really um, put a lot of value on and... I was told once by Steve Waugh that uh, a quote, attitudes are contagious, is yours worth catching? Mm. And he asked, you know, it's a good question you can ask yourself every day. But if you're in a team environment, it, it strikes me that that was your mindset, how you carried yourself was so important to then draw your teammates along with you. Yeah, like I said, we had a pretty good balance. Uh, we had the older guys who had been to Sydney who um, suffered that semi-final loss who were a bit more experienced. We had younger guys, younger than me, who were even a little bit more carefree and, um, yeah, not as mature as the... I was in that middle sort of part of the group where 
I could show a little bit of confidence, make the older guys uh, feel a little bit more relaxed and less, like give them confidence that we're going all right. And sort of the younger guys can hopefully feed off that as well. And attitude definitely is very, very important in my opinion and it creates a great environment when you go away. If you go away with a positive attitude, it is contagious and other people feed off that. And that's something I, when I'm coaching now, I try and drive into the younger guys is like, let's be positive. Yes, we're going to have mistakes. Yes, there's going to be hiccups along the way, but let's positive and let feed off it and show a lot of energy and, and go from there. And then, yeah, we had that, we had that in leaps and bounds. And during that Olympics, we had some down moments, you know, and we, we were lucky to make the semis in the end. We scored against India with, I think, three or four seconds to go. Uh, and then we had a bit of an internal problem um, after a couple of games. And then, yeah, we, we came through it because of that attitude and because of yeah. our, um, what we've built up over the th- three or four years leading up to it. Yeah, it's a solid foundation that you lay beforehand, isn't it, that you can, can draw on often in those um, more challenging times. Just so that you get the gold, break the hoodoo, but then you went on to another three Olympics, didn't you? Yep. And didn't hit those heights again as a team. Um, I guess frustratingly, did did it always feel like that you had started the pursuit of the Holy Grail again, or was there frustrations and disappointments on that? Oh yeah, obviously you go to win, and we had such a solid team, especially in two thousand eight, two thousand twelve. I think uh, we were we were looking really good. Yeah. Um, it's not easy. Um, if it was easy, everyone would go do it. So yeah, there's some there's some Fair quality call. quality teams out there. Yeah, um, and it. Over those years too, from 2004 to 2016, you know, 2004, you probably think three or four teams are going to win it, like I've got a chance. By 2016, you've got six or seven teams that realistically can win the Olympic Games. I mean, the last Olympics, uh, Argentina won. They weren't even in the top five in the world. Uh, So it it got harder, definitely. And you see that, I guess, in the Soccer World Cup. There's so many teams that can just beat each other these days. Uh, but yeah, I was I was frustrated because I wanted to go away and win. And one thing that I probably didn't do as well from 2004 to 2008 was I thought it was going to be I thought 2008 was going to be the same as 2004, but it was completely different. The the team structure was different. The environment in China compared to Athens, like just the public watching, like the whole experience was a little bit different. So I expected it. I, I should have you know went away just having a pretty good attitude but expecting it to be different where I thought it was just going to run smoothly again. What do you make of the the Olympic situation at the moment given that we're oh, just over a month, 40-odd days away? What are your thoughts on that? Should it be happening? I mean, how, how, do you, how would you envisage you'd be wrestling your mindset at the moment? Uh, it's hard for an athlete, I think, um, to prepare for it because anything can happen. Like if someone gets done with corona or in, yeah. in the opposition or in your team or someone you're sitting next to in the food court, for example, who knows what's going to happen. I think it's case-by-case case, uh, situation. I mean, you, I watched the golf on the Memorial, I think it was, uh, yeah. tournament where John Rahm had a six-shot lead, no signs of co- uh, corona or COVID or anything, and then gets told on the 18th that he has to sit out for the tournament. It's heartbreaking, that wouldn't uh, if, if stuff like that's going to happen at the Olympics, I'm sure it's going to. It's going to be pretty weird, I think. The, the disappointing thing for the athletes is when you go to Olympics, it's a really fun uh, family atmosphere where everyone's having fun. Uh, they're not going to see that side of yeah. it. So I think the mindset for the athletes going is that 
I've built up for this for five years or however mm. long. Um, go over there, do my job, and then you know see see what happens. Um, and you know anything can happen over there. <laughs> Who knows? But it's going to be definitely the most unique Olympics yeah. that we'll ever experience. Yeah, without doubt. Let's but I am, I am glad it's going ahead. I'm, yeah, I was going to say, hopefully for the athletes' yeah. sake who've committed so much to it, they do get that opportunity. Yeah, um, it, it's it's a one-in-a-lifetime, and it only comes around every four years. So some some people, this is their peak. This is yeah. um, when they can reach their potential, and some of them might only have one shot. So I'm glad it's going ahead. I'm glad it's going ahead for the world of sport as well. Like yeah. Everyone's going to be watching it, and some heroes will come out of this. So hopefully some Australian kids can look up to a hockey roo or a kookaburra or a swimmer or whatever and want to be um, that person when they're older. Yeah, there's no doubt sport has helped the globe through some pretty uh, challenging times in, in history. Now, I've got a little list here that I've done a bit of research, mate. I'm just going to fire a couple of points to you to see your reaction. Yep. I don't think the first one's going to be too too damaging to you. Mr. Perfectionist, described like a bit like Steve Smith in regards to being meticulous about grips, about stick weights and making sure that everything's spot on. Is that a, an accurate representation? Yeah, as I got older especially, um, I was very... Um, everything had to be perfect like the night before the day of what I ate how much uh, water I drank my stick grip definitely the balance of my stick uh, buck around in the change rooms or in the hotel with the stick and ball more than probably anyone else um, I didn't get dressed up and play my shots like Steve Smith the night before but uh, I was very yeah I was I was on the borderline of yep. um, that sort of well that was a, the, the, the final point of that um, little uh, example there was particularly when annoying when you're trying to get uh, have a nap in the hotel room so it's obviously someone that's room with you before uh, coffee addict which I can vouch for I've seen you up at uh, the local coffee shop a fair bit so we'll give it that one um, still trying to perfect the worm dance Oh, which which may blend into the last point. Definitely, this person is quoting saying you are definitely the person you want to be around when there's a drinking session after a tournament win. So maybe back in the olden days, do they blend in together? The worm dance and the and the victories. Definitely the drinking before the worm dance, and I feel more confident. But yeah, a bit more flexibility back in my younger days. But did you get the chance to celebrate? I, mean, I always thought yeah. celebrating was really important. Yeah, yeah, we we celebrated, and like I was very like, um, you know, professional before the tournaments, yep. and you know, in the lead up, so I'd set my goals, you know, years out, and this is where I want to be, and then day to day, make sure I rocked up to training, and make sure I got something out of that training. But then once the tournament was over, and if you had some success, we we did celebrate with the guys, and yeah, I just enjoyed it. I, I loved that camaraderie with the boys you know yeah. striving to achieve something going out there battling against the best teams in the world and then once you you know if you if you do well or even if you you don't do so so well but you've given it everything you've got the celebrations were great and i mean I, I remember after the olympics in 2004 we got home pretty late from the um, game and it was like one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning and i'm sitting there next to john eels and a few other athletes and we're just having such the best Time. So this is after the gold medal. The gold You've medal. had the ceremony. You yeah. got the medal around your neck. Yeah, and I thought life can't get better. And then Laurie Lawrence walks in in his jocks, <laughs> only his jocks, and he says this big motivational speech sort of poem thing. And he's like, "Yeah, we're all cheering." And he's like, "All right, guys, we've got to be quiet. The girls are playing the gold medal match tomorrow with the basketball." Yeah, but just things like that. I remember it was just 
brilliant and yeah i did, I did love a worm dance and i did love uh celebrating <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant um tell me about a couple of coaches barry dancer obviously was was coaching that successful team but you had rick charlesworth who really i think if you put in who are the two highest profile names out of australian men's hockey it's it's rick and yourself what, what were they like barry first Oh, Barry was excellent. Like he was um, really team oriented. Created such a good culture. We're in this together. We're going to war. To, sort of mm-hmm. type of mentality. Um, and yeah, we trusted him one hundred percent. Like he'd he'd call us all the time and ask us about our personal life and how we're going. And he was more like a mentor, sort of um, yeah, really team oriented coach. Yep. Uh, Rick was those two guys were completely different if you had the best of both of them it would have been the perfect I think coach Rick was more um, let's train really hard let's get perfect on the pitch let's uh, rotated the team around a lot uh, the squad and this is our structure this is the way we do it and we'll win Um, and we had a lot of success with both coaches I was very lucky I had both of them throughout my career because, um, yeah, completely different personalities, completely different coaching styles, but both very good coaches. Yeah. Um, I remember Rick coaching the Hockey Roos when we were at uh, the cricket team were at the 98 Commonwealth Games, about the only time that I can remember cricket being there and just how ruthless he was and and with that team and how disciplined they were and and clearly we weren't quite as disciplined because we – we tended to celebrate every win during the tournament rather than at the end of the tournament. So we got a silver medal and they got a gold, yeah. but they were very, very well planned. Um, I mentioned four Olympics, five times World Player of the Year. It's not an easy thing to, to uh, pick up. 326 caps for Australia, 215 goals. But I'm led to believe it almost wasn't hockey. Huh. Cricket scholarship that came your way when you were a youngster. Yeah, well, growing up in a country town. Yeah, Rockhampton, yeah. Rockhampton, yeah. It was uh, six months of hockey and six months of cricket. Yep. I was too small to play rugby league. Uh, I got smashed. <laughs> so my dad's <laughs> like, you better not play rugby rugby league anymore. So I enjoyed all hand-eye coordination sports. I loved cricket. I loved, um, you know, yeah, I loved batting. I just wanted to yep. bat all the time. Um, but, yeah, I had to make a decision quite early when I was 15, 16, and I remember my dad coming into my room and said, what do you want to do? You need to make a decision. And for me, it was always hockey. Like, I just yeah. loved the game. I, I wanted The Olympics were a big attraction uh, for me as well. Um, and, yeah, as much as I loved cricket and, you know, watching you guys and 99 World Cup and all that, uh, yeah, hockey was the one for me. And I guess my claim to fame for cricket, when I was 16... I made a hundred and something in the final against in in A grade against um, my teacher at the time. Her husband was the captain of the opposition, <laughs> so I really enjoyed that. But that's uh, that's as far as I got in cricket. I would have would have liked to have seen like how good I could have got yeah. at it if I just gave it a go. But yeah, I, I made my choice, and there's no regrets. Well, your kids are living out the same choices, aren't they? Because I know young Taj has uh, teamed up with my young fella Ted in a footy team, but he's let footy go because he's 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 going well at other sports too, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's the luxury we have in this country. There's yeah. so many sports, and um, yeah, 
my kids, I just want them to enjoy the game. And then once they get a little bit older, if they decide to go down that path, they yeah. can they can go down that path. But it's really up to them. I can guide them and I can sort of point them in the right direction. But yeah. Yeah, I had similar, but it was a bit old. I was a bit older. Like when yeah. I was 11, 12, 13, it was just go out there, have some fun. But looking back on it, what I did do, which other kids probably didn't, don't do now or didn't do back at the time, was I religiously watched the 92 Olympics and tried to copy every single move that Jay Stacey and Stephen Davies and these guys were doing. And I just went out the backyard and practice and practice and practice and practice. And yeah, looking back, I really had that passion for for hockey and when it was cricket season you know, I'd watch you guys and I'd go out and just practice my drives like every single day and um, yeah I just had that I just loved sport and do yeah. you, well just on that's a really good point do you you're coaching the WA under 21s but you're across all levels of hockey through your kids and just through the love of the game do you think you can see at 10 or 11 the kid the boy the girl that just has it or is it something that needs to develop I think everyone has a different journey. Um, some guys or girls might take a little bit longer. You know, there could be good. There's people that maybe take up the sport when they're 12, 13, and then really love it, and their journey's a little bit different. But to answer your question, yes, I think I can see um, those ones who've got more of a chance of having success in that uh, sport than than other kids who sort of maybe are just as talented or um, just don't love the game as much, but. I think there's, yeah, every journey's different, but mm. I, I see a couple of hockey uh, kids who are just like, yeah, this is, uh, and I look at them and go, yeah, they've got a chance if if they choose that. When you get to about 16, 17, your life, you know, changes. You have to make yep. a decision what you want to do. And with hockey especially, there's not that much money in it. So they might choose a, you know, a career and something else uh, outside of sport. Um, but yeah, there's there's kids there that I think that I've seen, and there's not that many of them, um, but there's a few that I've seen where I go, yeah, they've got a real chance of having success if they choose down this path. Yeah, sure. Uh, the rules have evolved enormously, haven't they, over the over certainly the period of time that you were involved at the top level and throughout um, your t- entire time in hockey. Was there one particular rule that, that really changed the game? And, uh, casting your mind thought, is there something that hockey needs to do again? Or is it is it perfect the way it is now? Yeah, there has been so many rule changes over the years. And that's one thing I was actually proud of once I retired was, you know, I've adapted to all these rule yeah. changes over my time and different skills as well. Um, the self-pass rule, so if mm-hmm. you get a free hit, you can... Take your, just the free hit yourself. On. Yeah, you don't have to pass to a teammate. That was a huge one, I think, because it just sped the game up so much. Um, and then there's a few skills like overheads, um, little aerials to, to people. That's just increasing all the time. And yep. the back stick pass but shot at goal as well. So back in the day, you just hit it on your four stick the whole time. Yep. But now people are just as good on both sides of the body. So... Those skills have really, and the the rule changes have really made um, the game more attractive. What I would change uh, is probably the penalty corner attack and defence. It's 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 getting the ball's getting flicked so hard these days, and there's guys fifteen metres away running straight down the barrel or facing it. You know, um, I just don't want a situation to happen where it's it could you know hurt someone seriously. Yep. So. That's one thing I'd like to look at, and the other. What would thing you I, what would you change on that? Uh, 
I'd maybe get more protective gear for the people on the penalty corners. So they put a sort of face guard on now, don't they? They do put a face guard, but I like to see something around the neck as well and um, on their fingers and knees and, yeah, everything. (laughs) It's it's pretty – it's a rock-hard ball. It is extraordinary, yeah. And it's flying at you, Um, yeah. And you just don't know where it's going. It can get a deflection anywhere, yeah. and it's just so crowded. Like at least with cricket, you sort of know it's going to bounce. Absolutely. Be in this with with hockey, you don't know it can yeah, come anywhere, and so it's a little bit. That's one thing. I, I'm just I don't know how, what I would change, but I just think they just need to look at it before something serious mm-hmm. happens. Uh, and what I would change is the interchange. Now it's rotation, like nonstop. Um, where I think it it's a disadvantage for the better players because they can come on and off but people can come on and off on them as as well and make sure that they're getting marked out of the game so i'd like to see a limited interchange um similar like what the afl do yeah Yeah, so the better players are out there for longer and people are getting more fatigued over time and and it gives them chance to shine yeah the people have put in the work Mm. to be fitter and, and stronger and uh more durable uh well, we mentioned the Olympics, and they just round the corner. I'll, I'll finish off with getting your thoughts on the the, uh, the men's team uh, and women's team. Um, there's been some, you know, challenging times for the women, but the the men at the moment are ranked number two. So what can we expect think, from think, the yeah, both one. hockey programs head, as they head into the Olympics? Yeah, I think the men are now ranked number one. Are they up to one? Are they? Yeah, them are. Uh, in Belgium have been rotating for the last few years. Uh, they're in a good position, really good. What I've seen lately, they are a solid, consistent, um, good, yeah, good bunch of guys. There's a good, I think, the age group as well. There's a couple of experienced guys, but there's a couple of young guys, and there's a lot in between. Yeah. Um, I think Matthew Swan, who just recently retired because his wife's having a baby during the Olympics, um, they're going to miss him. Uh, I think he brings a lot to that team. His energy and his attitude uh, and his skill set. But I think we. Yeah, anything can happen. Uh, you know, it goes into quarters and you could face anyone and anyone. The top eight teams for the men, anyone, anything can happen. And I think, but I think we're very consistent and going really, really well. So I'm hoping we, we bring home the gold. Um, but like I said, you don't know. Belgium are good. Germany are good. Holland are good. Any of All the usual suspects. Can, can beat each other on the day. Then you've got England who have just beaten uh, the European Championship. They just beat in Belgium. They just beat, um, I think, Holland or Spain as well. So they're, you know, on fire at the moment. But, yeah, who knows. With the women's, I think it's a great opportunity for the Hockey Roos because I think they've got absolutely nothing to lose. I think they should just go out there. Um, there's been a terrible few months for them probably a year or however long it's all this saga's been going on for but hopefully now they can just move on and play some hockey and enjoy it there's some exceptional young talented uh girls coming through amy lawton from melbourne she's she's brilliant i think um she's a going to be a world-class player she's only 19 or 20 at the moment uh but yeah i just think they've they've got nothing to lose so i think with that attitude they can just go out there and free themselves up and play some good hockey and who knows? With that, who knows as well. But at the moment, the Dutch are probably 10 15% better than the rest of the world. Um, then you've got Argentina, who are quite skillful and dangerous, uh, Germany, England, uh, etc. So Australia will have a chance. Um, yeah. Hopefully they don't meet the Dutch in the quarters or the semis. And um, But saying that, uh, last time they did, they, they went pretty close to beating them. So the Dutch will, will I think, not 
um, they won't be as good in one of the games, whether it's the quarter, the semi, yeah. or the final. They're going to slip. They're not as consistent as uh, what people think. As you say, that the Dutch might have more to lose than what the Australians yeah. are expecting. Oh yeah, the, the Dutch women are. You know, they should have won the last five Olympics, really, or four Olympics. So they they've got all the pressure on them. Yeah, well, there was a huge expectation on an Australian men's team for many, many years about winning that elusive gold medal, and uh, and you were the one that pulled the trigger and did it for them in 2004 in Athens, mate. Uh, an iconic moment, as I said, in Australian sport. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Friday Focus. Cheers. Thanks, Gilly. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.